0: Well, that song we sang tonight was penned approximately 300 years ago. And so you think about some of the old songs that we know. It's interesting that we sang kind of a, an older hymn tonight because the title of tonight's message is Sing a New Song to Him. Sing a New Song to Him. And you'll see that it has nothing to do with whether or not we should sing old hymns or not. It has to do with more figuratively are we going to be singing a new song as we go through life as we're constantly being impacted and touched by further interactions with God living life with God experiencing life with God so as you think about that title sing a new song to him people they sing many songs throughout their life literally and metaphorically in fact your life could be viewed as a perpetual song or a series of songs and that is sometimes referred to as one's life song. There's a couple of different Christian songs that are use that phrase life song. One of them says, let my life song sing to you. Another one is actually titled life song. But the idea is that your, your life could be viewed as, a, in a sense as an ongoing chorus or an on, ongoing choir of singing some kind of a song, proclaiming something. The fact is that your life is always declaring something. You're never, you're never in a place where you have nothing to say, whether, it's, whether you're speaking or not. Your life song is proclaiming something. Again, by your actions, by your posture, by your affect, by your facial features, by the things that you say, by your actions, the deeds, the things that you do. You're declaring something and proclaiming something. In a sense, we could add all that together cumulatively and we could call that your life song. And some of the songs, you talk about this perpetual singing or a series of songs that we're singing in life, some of those songs are joyful. And the truth is some of those songs are sorrowful. Some are songs of independence and some are cries for help as you think about the different songs that you would sing in your life. Again, we're talking figuratively or in terms of a metaphor here. Some of those songs are self-focused and some focus on others. Some originate in the spiritual realm and some fixate on the temporal realm. And as you think about that wide variety of different songs you could be singing, maybe if you took a moment and if I was just quiet for a moment and you think about the, the, the kinds of songs that you sing today, what your life song was made up of in terms of songs that you would, would have sang today? Was it, were they songs that were focused on the spiritual realm? Or were you singing songs through the thinking that you were doing today, things you were saying, your posture, your actions? Were you singing songs about this world that is passing away today? Were your songs today focused on yourself or others or were your songs today focused on your Savior? Did the songs you sing today, were they sort of anthems of independence or were they cries for help and dependence on God to undertake in your life? Is the song that you've been singing today, it, has it been a joyful song or has it been a song of sorrow? It's a very great, it's a, an appropriate way to think about your life. It may not be the way that you normally would think about your life, but it's the kind of language that David is going to use as you're thinking about well as you're thinking about Psalm 33 here tonight. I actually didn't even look. I'm not 100% sure it is a Psalm of David. But too often, as you think about these different kinds of songs, believers... Now, the world is always singing songs that are focused on the temporal realm, self and others, independence. The natural man, the man apart from being regenerated, the man apart from indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that man has no other song to sing other than an anthem of independence, an anthem of self-focus and selfishness and temporal worldly focus. That's the only way he knows how to think. It's the only way he can respond. And so we're, we're just going to set that aside and know that that's always the kind of songs an unbeliever would sing, but thinking for a moment about the, the kind of songs that believers sing. And too often, believers sing songs that are inconsistent and incompatible with their identity as children of the Heavenly Father. Now, that's true both literally, as you too often hear Christians singing songs that are Caring or promoting a message that is diabolically opposed to the truths from God's word. And frankly, I'm not saying that in a a how dare you kind of a way. I'm the kind of person that grew up having an interest in music. And as you have an interest in music, you're drawn to certain kinds of music, certain styles of music. As you're drawn to that, you listen to that. As you listen to that, you sing that. And those become the songs. I'm talking about literal songs. Those become the songs that you're singing, the songs that you're playing, the songs that you're listening to. And the truth is, many of those songs, if you think about the content, Those songs are proclaiming something that's the exact opposite of the truth of what God's word says um, in many different fronts as it relates to relationships, as it relates to your focus or your purpose for existing, as it relates to how you should respond to circumstances in life, things you should prioritize. As you think about the lyrics to those songs, they're never going to uplift you. They're never going to promote a way of thinking in you that's more Christ-centric or more heavenly, divine-focused kind of thinking. It's impossible for them to do that because the messaging is worldly messaging, which by definition is opposed to the things of faith. That's not legalism to call a spade a spade and say, that music is never going to help you in your walk with the Lord. Now, is all of it overtly sinful? The answer is no. Is there some Christian liberty, even as it relates to the kind of things that you might listen to? Sure. Kind of things you might watch? Sure, to an extent. But you surely couldn't say that a song that is overtly ungodly and promoting a message in opposition to him, there's no way you can make an argument that that falls into an area of permissive, the permissive will of God or Christian liberty. You're, you have the liberty in the sense of you have a volition to choose that, but there's no way you could say that this is godly or directed by God's spirit, and the same would be true of much of the filth that we fill our minds with that originates in the world. And too often, nobody wants to talk about it. Oh, all of a sudden, here's a guy who thinks that his spirituality is determined by avoiding these certain things. That's never once what what I said about it. What I'm saying, though, is it's a fixed fact that God's spirit, the spirit of God, would never direct a believer that was enjoying him and being led by him, would never direct them to fill their minds with garbage. Garbage in, garbage out. That in and of itself isn't legalism. What's legalism is to think, I'm more spiritual than you are because I'm having victory in this area or I'm making human-directed, human-empowered decisions to avoid certain things. That's what legalists do is they, they start to avoid these things for all the wrong reasons. They do it because they think it'll make them look better than other people or make them more spiritual than other people. They don't do it as a response to the Spirit of God working in their thinking and convincing them that these things are unhelpful to their spiritual walk, to their spiritual growth. So it's a dirty word that's thrown around but has nothing to do with that. But too often, that's literally happening that Christians are singing songs that don't actually, aren't in alignment with their position or God's truth, their identity. Now metaphorically, as we think about symbolically, that's true as well. Where the song of your life, now we're talking about the figure of this now. The song of your life is incompatible with who you are as God's child. The song that you 're singing is not promoting your true identity you 're singing a song in your life that is in fact the opposite of who you are it, it would It would make people at first glance say that that person is probably is not even a child of God. That must be a, a, an unbeliever that i 'm looking at. That person's not walking as led and directed by the spirit of God and if people would have a hard time even I- identifying you as god 's child then the answer is you're living life in a way that is incompatible with who you really are. Now, does that mean you're not a believer? No. If you've put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf, you've put 100% of your confidence in what Jesus has already accomplished for you, and you've accepted the free gift of eternal life through faith alone in Christ alone, you are a child of God. That's a fact. But that doesn't always mean that you're living like it. And there might be some changes, a change of direction, a change of thinking that is needed in your life for your practice to be consistent with your position. But that's too often true that believers are singing songs that are inconsistent and incompatible with their identity. Now, children of God should be singing songs that befit their standing as God's children, as heirs of heaven, as adopted sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, these are new songs in contrast to the old songs of a life before faith. So on one hand, when you think about what is this talking about when we talk about sing a new song to him, what is he getting at? Well, part of it you could say is these new songs are a contrast to a a life that's now uh, led by, equipped by, directed by, empowered by the Spirit of God working in your life. Now, or the, the, the song sung by one who is regenerate, who is born again, versus one who is dead in their trespasses and sins and is lifeless and hopeless and helpless. And so you think about that, that's partially true, but it actually has more to do with these these songs are new songs in terms of a man or woman or faith or believers communicating a continual and evolving appreciation for who God is, What he has done, and the endless provisions and countless blessings he bestows on his own. So, as you're singing a new song, I'm singing a new song or sing a new song to him. What I'm singing is I'm singing about, I'm communicating this evolving and continuing appreciation that I have as I'm growing in my faith for who God is. What he has done for me and what he has done in general and his endless provision and countless blessings that he's bestowed on me in my life. So my song is constantly evolving in a sense. I'm singing a new song as I have a greater and greater appreciation for my savior, for, my, for who God is. And so this is the idea that is expressed in Psalm 33. And this is what this call in Psalm 33 is for a new song of praise. So it starts with this idea of calling for believers to have a new song of praise and then explaining or reminding the audience of the underlying basis or the inspiration for such songs. How would I have a new song to sing? Well, I would be impressed by, or I'd have a greater appreciation for, some truth from God's word that would be revealed to me. And so then the psalmist here, Identifies a bunch of different categories of aspects or things that God has done, aspects of God's character that would be the content or the subject matter that would then form the basis for this new song that he would be singing or a believer should be singing in his life. So if you haven't already, turn to Psalm 33 and we're gonna tackle this psalm here, Lord willing, tonight. Now it starts off, let's read the first three verses, Psalm 33, pick up in verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp, make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings, sing to him a new song, there's our title, play skillfully with a shout of joy. So sing to him a new song, that's where our title comes, that's the emphasis of this psalm, and then an explanation of the basis for that song is going to follow. So we start with rejoice in the Lord. And it serves as a needed reminder of the believer's source of joy. When 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 you think about shout for joy or sing for joy, that starts first and foremost by realizing that that joy comes from the Lord. Rejoice in what? In my circumstances? Rejoice in my human effort, my human successes? Rejoice in my own strength in my capacity for living a life that would Glorify God or bring him honor and glory? No. Rejoice in the Lord. Who he is, what he's done, how, how he has made a life of faith possible, a life of value, a life of purpose possible, a life that is empowered by him, directed by him, includes his presence. That's the kind of thing to be joyful about as I'm thinking about all of the things connected to my faith in the Lord, my position in his family. What he's, what he is, who he is and what he's done again. So rejoice in the Lord. Now find or express joy in who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing or will do is the idea. Rejoice in all of those things. There's all three aspects of it, past, present, and future. Who is he? That's the person of God. What he has done is past. What he is doing present and what he's going to do in the future. How do we know, by the way, what God is going to do in the future? You know, Many people are very future focused when it comes to their study of the word of God. I don't blame them. There's many people who can't read through a story from start to finish. There are many people, maybe you're one of them, show of hands if you're the kind of person who goes and starts off in the story. We already got a couple starting to raise their hands, all right, that's good. The story starts off, you read a few chapters, right? You start to get kind of curious about, man, how is this thing going to end? Are you the kind of person who while you're watching a movie is Googling if it's a happy ending or not? And then only if it's going to be a satisfying ending will you see it through to the end? Or how about a person who's reading a book who cheats a little bit, maybe skips ahead, gets a little glimpse of how the story ends, doesn't really focus about how the story gets to the end, but just kind of gets to the punchline, right? People do that. Show of hands now, who's ever done that? Okay, I've done that. Sometimes I see, I see even a a show, a video or you know, a movie that's taking kind of a negative turn, just a little bit of oversharing here. Life, life is hard. There's a lot of challenges in life. There's a lot of evil, a lot of dark things, a lot of brokenness. I'm just not interested in watching movies about it. Real life is hard enough. I don't need to watch a show about it. I'm living in that show, Right? And so for me, uh, I'm interested in funny movies, happy movies, uplifting movies, and maybe I shouldn't be interested in them at all. I'm just sharing a little bit about myself. So I'm interested sometimes in knowing, uh, sometimes it seems like it was supposed to be a comedy, but it starts to take a dark turn and I'm just like, I didn't sign up for this. So I have been that guy who's just Googled the head. How does this thing turn out? No, it's not funny anymore if the, t- if the three main characters die. Okay? Just, that's an opinion. And so many people, as you think about future-focused believers, many are focused on the end of the story. The truth is, how did you know that? How did you know how the story would end, though? Because God, kind of knowing us, knowing that we would want to know where we're going, what the future holds, he revealed in his word how the story ends for the believer. I'll tell you this, This has a happy ending for the believer. If you didn't know that, if you're kind of captivated and fixated right now on the suffering of this life and how hard life is at times, be of good cheer. Your story has a happy ending. It's an amazing ending. It's not one that you have to be fearful about, it's one you can be hopeful about. And the truth is that we have no way of knowing exactly when we're going to encounter the rest of our story, but we know what it includes. Either we will die and go to be with the Lord or we'll be raptured and go to be with the Lord, but everything from that point forward is going to be perfect, amazing, wonderful. So great, in fact, that our minds could not even fathom the blessings that God has in store for them who love him. Couldn't even wrap our minds around it. Couldn't picture it, couldn't imagine it, couldn't dream it up. That's how our story ends. And we were told in God's word repeatedly between now and then to run the race that's set in front of us. To do that by having a great hope inside of us that is flowing from our pores and overflowing our lives to the point where somebody maybe would want to come up to us and they might in fact ask us the reason of the hope that is in us. You know what? They're not going to do that If we're crying about how bad the world is or how difficult our circumstances are or we're fixated on evil continually and we're not shining the light of Jesus Christ, our mission is simple. Our mission is to be an ambassador, a reflection of Jesus Christ's light into the world around us so that people can be saved from the hell they deserve to a heaven they don't just like we were. The mission isn't complicated, and it's not depressing, and it's not dark, and there's nothing to prepare for, frankly, other than getting up in the morning and say, Lord, how do you want to use me? I hope your return is imminent. I know that you say it could be today. I hope it's today. But if not, whether by my life or by my death, I want you to be lifted up and magnified. It's not more complicated than that. And sometimes you wonder, why does that guy get agitated about stuff like that? Because too often the messaging that we have and the things that we're talking about, there's everything but the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's all about the darkness of the world. You are not of this world. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. I called you out of this world into the glorious light of the gospel. Your, light is, your life should be filled with the light of Jesus Christ, the hope of Jesus Christ, the joy of the Lord that's your strength. None of the rest of it. You're immune from it in many ways when you think about on a, on a final ending to the story sense. So let's proclaim him. So what you need to do to be prepared, you need to realize that you have a, mesh, a mission to accomplish. You need to be not dead at the wheel and asleep at the wheel. That's how you prepare is to wake up and be reminded that I have life in front of me that God has blessed me with that's finite and it could be done today And I want to live for Jesus Christ and make my life count. So in any event, you think about how am I going to be singing a new song? I'm going to be focused on what God has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do in the future, all of which is good. God's goodness should overwhelm my soul. And that's the kind of thing that should cause me to have this new song to sing as I'm more and more appreciative, and I have a greater and greater understanding of who my God is. So that's what we're talking about when we're thinking about rejoicing in the Lord. Now, the praise that is offered, this joy of the Lord that is coming out of our mouths, it's said to be beautiful. It's said to be beautiful. It says this, it says in verse 2, verse 1b, for the praise from the upright is beautiful. Now, beautiful to who? this song of your life, who is it beautiful to? It's beautiful to the Lord. It doesn't make any difference if it's beautiful to other people. From God's perspective, it's beautiful to Him. And so when you think about this word rejoicing, it involves joyfully calling out or singing loudly or boldly. So it's not just having joy in the Lord. It's verbalizing, and in a sense, having it kind of oozing from your pores again, like I said earlier. This this bold and loud singing for joy focused on, again, who God is, what He has done, is doing, and will do. Now, it's beautiful to God. We need to be reminded of that. And you think about how would I express or sing loudly or boldly about the joy of the Lord, the joy that I have in the Lord? Well, uh, I want you to think about this. To express joy found in the Lord loudly involves first experiencing it. You're not gonna be able to sing about this new song of joy, this new song of praise. You're not gonna be singing about it with the song of your life if you're not experiencing it. So that's something to just really meditate on a little bit. Am I experiencing the joy of the Lord? Well, I would be if I was in proximity or intimacy with him. If I was close to him, trusting him, relying on him, depending on him, I would be experiencing his joy. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. Those would be the first three things that I would be experiencing in my life if I was, what, connected to him, leaning into him, resting in him. So am I experiencing that? And if I was, then I'd be able to sing about it. Second thing I want you to think about is there's an element of boldness that's inherent in this in the sense that I can't loudly shout about this If I'm ashamed of it. That's why Paul says, give me, pray that I would have boldness. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. I can't afford to be ashamed of the gospel. You can't afford to be ashamed of the gospel. What do we mean by that? Well, I could afford, because if your gospel's hidden, it's hidden to those who are perishing. It's not hidden to me. I already know it. So what do you mean I can't afford it? You can't afford it in the sense that you have a mission you've been assigned. You can't complete the mission and be ashamed of the gospel at the same time. Your mission is to proclaim the gospel, To live to lift him up, to put the spotlight on him, to make him bigger in your life. How could you do that if you're ashamed of it? What is there to be ashamed of, by the way? what shame is there in the gospel message? We can say that and think about that, but the truth is oftentimes we have a sense of shame or fear or timidness when it comes to the gospel. God doesn't want that. Now, this word righteous, it's used in a judicial or positional sense in reference to believers. The psalmist isn't saying that this isn't talking about just somebody who presently is living a right life or is you know, walking as directed by the Lord, though that is true. That is the only kind of person who is presently enjoying the Lord. That person is presently right with God. That person is then presently living in a life that would be described as righteous. That person is then rejoicing because joy is associated with it. That person is then singing that loudly. And so both are kind of true, but just my opinion, I believe he's more focused on only men and women of faith are going to have the capacity for singing a song of joy or a a song of praise to the Lord. Now, the word here, the phrase here, praise the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, O you righteous, praise the Lord. It refers to an expression of adoration, an expression of adoration in a manner that lifts God up. Now, it's the same idea as exalting or magnifying. The idea is putting a spotlight on him or making him, busy, busy, making him bigger. And so as you're thinking about the righteous or those that are redeemed, that man or woman who's in that positional state, that's their identity, that person should be or ought to be living life in a way that would make, keep the spotlight on God and his provision for sinful man and make him bigger to those who don't know him. Now, how does it say to do this? We have this phrase, harps and stringed instruments. Kind of a fun thing. Sing to him a new song. So we've already touched on that. Praise the Lord, though, with what? With the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of 10 strings. Sing to him this new song. Play skillfully, again, with a shout of joy. Singing loudly is what that means. So you think about harps and stringed instruments. It reminds us that praising God musically takes many forms. This, the harps and strings in, stringed instruments represented the cultural or local instruments of that day. So say this is an instrument with 10 strings. You see the guitars on, string, on stage here, these are stringed instruments. So a piano has strings. It's also a percussive instrument too, for those of you against drums. It's a percussive instrument and it's a stringed instrument. And so as we think about guitars, they have six strings. And so you think about those are the instruments of our day, or some of the instruments of our day. These are some of the instruments of their day. And they were to accompany the singing that was taking place, this loud singing of songs of praise to the Lord. And so you're thinking about that. It reminds us that praising God, again, is not limited. Singing songs of praise to the Lord is not limited to one particular form or another, and it also reminds us that God is primarily concerned with proper thinking and motives, not the manner or the method or the style in which we're singing these new songs to him. So there's a great idea there as you think about just the discussion about those instruments of that day. Now, what's the instruction? Our title here, Sing, a, sing to Him a New Song? The Hebrew word translated here as new means original, fresh, one of a kind, never seen before, or in this case, never heard before. That's what the word means, sing a new song to him. So again, as I noted in the introduction, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't sing traditional songs of faith. That's not the point. I I think... I think there is a sense here being communicated literally as it relates to literal songs that we should have a sense of a growing body of songs in our life because we're constantly learning more about the Lord. That's causing men and women of faith to constantly write songs, psalms and hymns and what? Spiritual songs. There's this idea that there'd be this ever-evolving catalog in a sense where more and more songs would be added as people have a greater and greater recognition or personal appreciation for God and how he's moving or working in their lives. I think there is a literal sense to this idea of new songs, that there would become to be a catalog of psalms and songs in a sense that would be always evolving. But I think the greater focus here, as I noted, and, and so I wouldn't go too far with that. I think the greater focus here is more metaphorically. It's, it's more as a s- symbolic thing that we would have this constantly evolving expression or this greater and greater, this growing appreciation, again, for who God is, what he has done, and how he provides and blesses his children. So the lyrics to your life song are ever-evolving or maturing as you grow in grace and knowledge and understanding is the idea. Your praise for God is not intended to be mechanical, tradition-driven, or familiar. Now, that could be literally true in terms of the songs that you sing. All of a sudden, you're not thinking about the lyric anymore because it's an old song and you're just mechanically singing it. You're not appreciating the depth of the lyric sometimes. And so that could be true literally, but more so, I think the idea is not to continue to have a stagnant walk with the Lord where you're not growing in your faith and hence your song is kind of stuck on one track. And instead of a new track coming up because you have a new appreciation or a new understanding or a growing or maturing understanding in your faith so that the song, the needle moves to the next track and there's sort of a new song that you're singing to him in your life, you kind of get stagnant and stuck. That's what I mean by this mechanical, tradition-driven or familiar approach to spirituality. Now, it should, your song of your life, the song that you're presently singing, should reflect your present joy-filled response of worship and adoration to God for, again, how he's working in your life, how he's moving in your life, how he's impacting you in your life. So then you see this phrase, skillfully and with a shout of joy. So they're singing this new song, and it's being done skillfully and with a shout of joy. That could be taken literally or metaphorically as well. Literally would just signify this idea that you would have this intention to do your best as unto the Lord when you lift up a song of praise to him. You wouldn't, doing it, you wouldn't be doing it in jest. You'd be doing it in all seriousness with this idea of I'm singing a song to you. I'm not doing it in a mocking way or a, half, a half-hearted way. It, does, it has nothing to do with talent or ability. That's not what the term is even referring to, this idea of doing the best that you can as you seek to praise the Lord. Now, that's, that could be taken again literally. It could be taken metaphorically too, that I'm singing these songs in my life, I'm, I'm doing it as unto the Lord, with a desire to lift him up, with a, a desire to please him, that I would have a life that would be well-pleasing to him is something that is prayed for, even in the word of God. That would be an appropriate prayer, that my life would be well-pleasing to him. Now again, that's as viewed skillfully, again, as viewed from God's perspective, not man's. Now this word shout, it carries the idea again of loudly and boldly, so I'm not gonna cover that again, and joy, with a shout of joy. It reminds us that praise should be accompanied with joy. Now, literally and figuratively, that would be true. This singing a new song to him, Have you ever considered the idea that often we sing songs and we don't have them accompanied with any real sense of happiness or joy? Now, I'm not saying artificially make it that way. I'm just saying, where is the joy? You know, we have songs, you know, kids even learn the song. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Right? Where? Down in my heart. We sing this at camps and those kinds of things. But too often, this is literally the case, we'll sing a song like that, like this. I've got the joy, 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 down in my heart. Like, boy, it doesn't connect. doesn't seem to make sense. The, the posture of it isn't synonymous with the message of it, right? And so even culturally, even just as a matter of tradition, you can start to sing songs that should be joyful, gleeful, happy songs, and they actually start to sound very depressing. The tone of them, the speed of them, the melody of it even sometimes the way that they're sung. And so that's why even as you talk about, we're talking about literal music here, touchy, touchy, touchy point, don't do it, don't do it. Don't talk about it. You're going to rub me the wrong way. As you think about it and you pray about it, though, just consider, is that something that you see in the singing in the Bible, the examples and illustrations you have? Is that the posture that you're seeing? Not really. It's dancing. It's happiness. It's joyful. It's gleeful. It's filled with the joy of the Lord. It's called praise, singing praises to the Lord. So there would be a sense of exuberance naturally, a sense of excitement even to have the opportunity to come boldly to the Lord in that way and be able to praise him in that way. Again, I'm not, ab- I'm not advocating that. We have to throw out every, every way of doing anything, but there is reason to consider and evaluate how did we get to where we are? Was that informed by and directed by the word of God or was it just the way a tradition played itself out and that's how we got to where we are? And so just something to be thinking about. Again, I don't even think that's the point of the psalm. Of the, I talk about it, talked about the literal view of this a little bit too much. I really don't even think that that's his emphasis here. Again, I think the emphasis here as you think about joy is that the song of your life should be a joy-filled song. It should be a happy song. The song of your life shouldn't be a song that is being sung, again, metaphorically, figuratively. It shouldn't be a song that's full of sadness and depression when you start to count your blessings and remember who your God is, how he looks at you, how he's provided for you, the future that he has put in front of you, we can have a smile on our face in a sense, even in the storms that we go through in life. Easier said than done, yeah. Absolutely, remind me of that the next time you see me struggling. The next time I look worn out, weary, depressed. When will that be? Probably later tonight, later tonight. It's not something I'm immune from. I'm just saying collectively, let's remind ourselves that we have everything to be happy about as Christians. We have everything to be filled with joy about. We don't don't need to go through life in a sense of somberness, if you will. Now we move on to the heart of this. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it, so for those of you who are thinking, we're never gonna get through this. Now we have the basis of the inspiration for those new songs that we're supposed to be singing a new song to him? What is the inspiration or the basis for those new songs in our lives? Now, we have that word. If you're not sure that this is what this section is about, look at the word for. Verse 4 starts with for, for the word of the Lord is right is the first example. So for, it indicates that what follows is an explanation for what the basis behind what preceded, what preceded. This call, to make or to sing a new song to him that was skillful and accompanied with joy. Okay, now what is the basis for that, for doing so? Now there's several different potential rationales for singing a new song of praise that are now given. And it starts with God's word Or God is right, but specifically his word is right, and God is good. Those are the first two things that are laid out in verses 4 and 5. Let's read those together. Now here's one basis for rejoicing and singing this song filled with joy, this new song in your your life. For the word of the Lord is right, that's one basis, and all his work is done in truth. Second reason, he loves righteousness and justice, but the reason here specifically is the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So you could probably pull a bunch out of here for the sake of time, the two I want you to meditate on. What is, this, what is the basis for singing a new song? One is that the word of the Lord is right. All of his work is true, and so as I read about his work, what he's done, who he is, that should be a cause for me to rejoice as I learn more about him. The idea there is that because of the word of the Lord is always right, it's always straight, it's always true, that as I am exposed to it, I would have a basis for singing a new song to him because now I would have no new material to work with. I'd now have more understanding to work with, more appreciation for who he is, again, and what he's done. Now, the second thing, verse 5, was the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. As you appreciate that, as you are reminded of how good God is, That's going to be the subject matter that you can incorporate into the lyrics of that new song that you're writing and that new song that you're singing in your life. Now that would be true again literally and figuratively. If you're going to write a new song, wouldn't be informed by such topics as the truth of God's word and how wonderful his truth is? The goodness of God and how it never changes and how amazing it is and how it's so good that it fills the whole earth What a nice poetic way to talk about the goodness of God. What does it mean? The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. It means that there's no place I can go where your love can't find me. There's no place I could run that you don't see. There's no place that I could fall that you couldn't catch me or carry me. Your goodness is everywhere I could go as your child. That should absolutely fill you with a song of praise and joy as you consider and appreciate and think about, the over the permeation of God's goodness into every facet of the world around you, including every facet of your life. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be good subject matter to sit down and pen a song about, to, to sing out and live out this new song in your life about as you appreciating? the overarching effect of the goodness of God in your life. That'd be great material to work with. So you end up hearing songs, modern song. You're a good, good father. God is good. He's so good to me. As people pen those songs, they do it as they appreciate and recognize these kinds of truths. That's true about actual songs that are being written and have been written and will be written in the future. It's true figuratively, though, about this overarching song of your life, too. Now, what's the second basis, subject matter, inspiration, I think is the best way to look at it? It's that God is the creator God. He spoke the world into existence. Read verses 6 and 7. Here's another reason to sing a new song, recognizing these truths right here in these two verses. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in the store houses. So think about that. It's kind of a summary of the book of Genesis, right? He's an awesome creator. He's a creator God. He's the one who made me he's the one who breathed life into me. That should be the basis or inspiration for the song of my life. That's a song of joy and praise, right? What's the next thing we see? Summary of it, God is awesome. God is awesome. Let's read verses eight and nine. This could be good subject matter, good inspiration to work with for these songs that you're pinning. Let all the earth fear the Lord. That means to have a reverential awe and respect for the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. There it clears it up for us what it means by fearing the Lord. It's not to be afraid of the Lord, though there's plenty that you could be afraid of as you thought about the awesome power and might of God and the future that's facing those that have rejected Him and rebelled against Him. But that's not how children interact with their father. They're not afraid of Him. But children should have In appropriate awe and respect for their father. Let all the inhabitants of the world, though, stand in awe of him, for he spoke, still talking about his creative work, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast, talking both about his creative work and his interactions in the affairs of men. God speaks, and it happens. He said what to the storm that the disciples were facing with him? He said what, peace be still. What else did he say? Lazarus, come forth. God can just speak and his will is carried forth. And if even nature listens to responds to the sound of his voice, maybe maybe you should as well. Maybe I should as well. There's a song called So Will I. If if the very created creation itself responds to the sound of his voice, maybe Maybe I should as well. Pretty awesome to think about just how great your God is. And as you think about how awesome he is, what inspiration for songs that you might be writing with the testimony of your life, so to speak, and again, also actual songs. Now, the next inspiration is God is all-powerful. And it's, again, a summary of these verses. Let's pick up in verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen has his own inheritance. So as we think about inspiration... God is all-powerful. What a nice poetic way to think about this. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. Why are you so focused on what's happening in the nations of the world? God's in control of them. God can absolutely fulfill his plan and purpose. There's nothing that human beings are going to do to stop that. So why are we so focused on it? Now, the truth is, can we have concern for people? Yeah, Can we have concern for things that happen in the world? Yes. Can God use us to illuminate the darkness? Yes. To stand for what's true? Yes. To even at times speak out or identify something as evil? Sure. Sure. But can we save the sinking ship? Can we save, can we fix the brokenness of this nation or any other nation? No. Not directly. The only thing we can do, we have control over is, will I trust the Lord today? Will I respond to the Lord today? Now, collectively, can a nation have a revival? Yes. Now, to have a revival would imply that it once was a godly nation to begin with, that it was a nation of faith to begin with. Not a nation inspired by principles of faith, but a nation of faith. So you can't return to something unless you first were there to begin with, and I would submit that we could have a discussion about it, but I would submit that there's not a nation on the earth that was truly a nation of faith that was operating that way and that could return to that in a predominant sense, in a majority sense. And I would think the principles of the word of God actually bear that out, that the men and women of faith represent a minority and always have and always will. So in any event, can there be revival? Yes. Can there be great response to the gospel? Yes. Go read the book of Acts again. 5,000 people at a time getting saved. Could that happen in our lifetime? I hope so. I hope so. Could God even use us to effectuate that kind of revival, that kind of response to the gospel, the good news message, the hope of Jesus Christ? I hope so. I hope I could be used in that way. That would be my prayer that countless numbers of people could get saved as a result of even this church collectively proclaiming the light of Jesus into the places and spaces that God directs us in our lives, that we could have an unbelievable impact even on the iron range that he's placed us in. So in any event, is God in control? Yes, he is. Does he need our help? No. Does he use us at times? Yes. Is that awesome to think about? Yes. But we have to remember who's sovereign. It's God, not us. Who's powerful? It's God, not us. Who's in control? It's God, not us. Now, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, uh, the plan of his heart to all generations. Verse 12 is talking about the nation of Israel. That verse has been applied to even this nation. It's not talking about this nation, but the principle is true. He's talking about the nation, the nation of Israel, whose God was supposed to be the Lord. You will be my people, and what? I will be your God. The people he has chosen, who is that right now in this context we're talking about the nation of Israel now is there blessing on the nation whose God is the Lord absolutely the kind of blessing that we think of first and foremost no God never promised that but is there blessing to a nation who responds in faith to God absolutely and every individual within it yes even ungodly people benefit from the blessing that falls on those that are responding to God and his goodness indirectly at times you could trace that out Okay, we move on to the next subject matter or source of inspiration for these songs in our life. God is a personal God. Let's read verses 13 through 15. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. He's interested in it. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. Now look at this. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. So there's not a lot more to say about it Then wouldn't that be a nice basis or inspiration for this song of praise? It's just considering that God, how is it that God would be mindful of men, including you and I, that he would even care about you and I, but he does. Is that a cause for praise? The answer is yes. And when we come to the last subject matter inspiration for your new song, verse 16 through 19. God alone is a delivering. He's a delivering kind of God. God alone is. Is, delivers, he is a delivering kind of God. Verse 16, No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. Why are we putting our hope in those things? The nation of Israel collect, uh, historically over and over again put their hope in foreign allegiances and military might and wealth, the accumulation of of resources. A mighty man, though, is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. What kind of deliverance? Does a horse, can a horse deliver somebody from uh, the pursuit of an immediate attacker? Absolutely. So is he talking about literally? No, he's talking about spiritually. Spiritually, there'll never be that. And even literally, no real lasting deliverance can come from human resources and human things. Deliverance in a, in a lasting sense has to come from the Lord is the idea. So then you get to verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death. Who does deliverance come from again? God, what kind of death? Well, at times physical death as you think about the covenant arrangement under the Mosaic law with the nation of Israel and Jehovah. But as you're thinking about this, it also is true that it's deliverance in a spiritual sense as well. And to keep them alive in famine, spiritual famine and physical famine. Think about the story of Joseph and how God undertook through the evil that was perpetrated against him to actually deliver the whole nation of Israel from starvation due to the evil that his brothers, again, committed against him. God worked it together for good, Genesis chapter 50. So now we finish with these last couple of verses here. And it speaks about the proper mentality or posture behind those new songs. So we've talked about the idea that we should have a new song to sing. We've looked at the inspiration or the categories of different kinds of or rationales for having, uh, being inspired to write a new song. And there were six of them we looked at here. But now we end with what is the proper mentality or posture behind those new songs? And let's read these last verses. Verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. So you think about this posture or this mentality that is behind these new songs that we're crafting, that we're penning, that we're writing, that we're singing with our lives. The first thing you see in verse 20 is that this mentality should be a posture of dependence. You see that word waits? It communicates a mentality of restful dependence and rests on on, waits on what? The The Lord. The Lord is the object of our dependence, not ourselves, not others, not our circumstances, not our bank account, not any of those things. Now, depending on the Lord is a byproduct of acknowledging Him as your source of help and protection. You see that. You're never going to trust or depend on anybody that you don't see or acknowledge as the strength, the source of strength, the strength, the source of help, the source of protection in your life. And so you see that here. He is our help and he is our shield. So there's our words, help and protection. It's impossible if you're currently depending on yourself or others to be resting or waiting on the Lord. And I hope you see that. Absolutely impossible. Now, the second posture that I wanna bring out is this posture of rejoicing. The object of the rejoicing is him, but in verse 21, for our hearts shall rejoice in him. There's that, this mentality or posture behind our songs that we're crafting and writing and singing is this posture of joy again, as we already touched on. Now, the ability to rejoice is connected to first having trusted in him, and I already brought that out too. You're not gonna have joy in God's provision if you don't even trust him. It starts with experiencing life with him, resting in him, trusting him, so that you can experience the joy that he can produce in your life, and that joy will come out in these songs of joyful praise that will be crafted or sung by the song of your life, so to speak. Now, the last posture I want us to end with is the posture of humility. So the mentality or posture behind these new songs that God wants us to be singing to him is a posture of humility, and you see it with the word let. Let, it says, your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, and it indicates that this is requested but not demanded. Allow this to be true. Now, implied in this is a recognition that it's undeserved, meaning you don't owe this to me, God, but allow this to be true in my life that you would undertake with your mercy here, meaning this word steadfast or unchanging love. Let your unchanging love, O oh Lord, be upon us, and I know I don't deserve it. So that song that I'm singing, that new song of joy, is accompanied by this recognition, this mental, this mentality or posture of recognizing that God's love is a byproduct of his grace and that it's undeserved. Now you see this last phrase that speaks to uh, humility? It's that we hope in you. We hope in you. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. My hope is in the Lord. Hope for my the payment of the penalty of sin, if we're talking about church-age believers here, uh, hope to deal with our sinfulness, not necessarily with a full understanding of how God would do that. Uh, the person and work of Jesus Christ not yet fully revealed but God had, needing to undertake for sinful man by providing a way of redemption for man in his fallen state. Every believer throughout every age had to understand that he had a problem, that God was the only solution to meet his problem, and that he could appropriate it only by faith apart from works. Abraham is said to have understood that, uh, that Abraham responded by faith and that it was faith apart from works. Now to him that does not work, but believeth on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And that's in the discussion about Abraham even. But as you think about, we hope in you that my hope for today, my hope for tomorrow, it all comes by dependence on God, this confidence that rests in him. Now, that's a signal or a posture of humility because it shows us that to hope in the Lord is to not hope in yourself, to not have self-confidence or self-dependence, but have that dependence and confidence in God. And so there's three postures that we see, a posture of dependence, a posture of rejoicing, a posture of humility as we're penning or we're crafting these This new song to him, this song of our life, this song of joy, this song of praise that is exalting and lifting and magnifying and making him bigger. So sing a new song to him. So here's some questions for you tonight. Are you living life intimately with the Lord? Are you experiencing life with him? Are you watching him work, move, and undertake in your life? Are you growing in grace and understanding? Now, as those things are true, you should have new material to form the basis for a new song of praise to sing in your life. This growing appreciation and understanding as you're maturing in your faith that you're watching Him work, move, and undertake in your life. You're experiencing life with Him. You're living intimately with Him. You're growing in understanding. That's giving you the material and the posture to have this new song of praise to sing to Him. Now, to lack a new song is to lack new experiences with him in spiritual growth. You see, you'd automatically have a new song to sing in your life if you were growing, if you were experiencing life with him. It's not a good song, it's not a good sign if you don't have a new song to sing tonight. If if your song isn't evolving, if it isn't changing, as you're being reminded of different things, you start to sing about those again. Maybe you've sung about them in the past. You're being shown things for the very first time, you start to sing about those because you never knew them in the past. You see how that song would be a new song from day to day. It wouldn't be static. It wouldn't be mechanical. See your new sh- your new song. It should communicate your developing, growing, maturing, and evolving appreciation again of who God is, what He has done, and how He's provided and blessed your life. So, as we end tonight, I, the the takeaway, my prayer for myself, but my prayer for all of us and collectively this body of believers, is that we would all have new songs of praise to sing. And it's easy to get really mechanical and really sort of in a rut where that isn't true of us. We're just kind of going through the motions and repeating the same platitudes, repeating the same, we're not growing really at all.